And let's open them, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm glad you came back tonight after this morning. I wasn't sure I'd have anyone back. But thank you for coming back. I praise the Lord for that. I certainly will be happy when Pastor and Gary are back. You know, last year they left in March. Uh, They both went to Israel together. Left me here. During the time they were gone, we had two deaths in the church, if you can imagine that. And I made a rule. The rule was they could never both leave at the same time again. They don't much care about my rules, obviously, because they're both gone again. So uh, I guess rules are made to be broken, I guess. I don't know. But uh, praise the Lord, you're here with me tonight. I appreciate that. Let's take our Bibles. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's read, beginning at verse 14, if you would please stand as we read together. I'll read aloud and you can read silently, beginning with verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Let's, Let's read that phrase together, if you would. All of us together, ready? For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. What a wonderful idea that those who are alive would live for that one who died for them. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth we know him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, Reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we indeed are humbled tonight when we consider that You took upon Yourself flesh and died just for us. You died that we might live. And we praise You and thank You for this. And now tonight as we look at this new life that You've given us, I pray the Holy Spirit would, in, would instruct us and would motivate us and inspire us to go forth from this place and live that new life that you have ordained for us. Thank you for our time together. We pray you'd bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to draw your attention tonight to Paul's statement in verse 17 of our text. He said that we are a new creature and that old things are passed away. All things have become new. Now this is the context of my message this evening. I want to focus tonight on what is new 
in our life after salvation. This change, things change, and this is a common characteristic of life. How many of you have ever heard someone come up to you, had someone come up to you and say, so what's new with you? Any of you ever have someone do that? Sure, we all have. What's new? Why would they ask you such a question? Why would they say, what's new? Well, probably because they understand that things are constantly changing. Life is constantly moving and altering its course. And they realize that you are probably experiencing new problems, new challenges, or new opportunities around every corner. Now, from Paul's statement in verse 17, we can see that there are changes in our life that will take place after salvation. Some old things will become new things. Now, some of these things will be changes that do not require our cooperation, and some are changes that we will have to affect ourselves. So at the time I have this evening, my son-in-law asked me to keep it brief because he wants to go home and watch the All-Star game. So I told him I'd punish him and add an extra 15 minutes just for that. Let's take some time this evening, just for a few moments, and look at these things that are new. What's new? Let's consider what's new uh, surrounding our identities, number one. Now, there are certain things which identify us. Who can name a few things that might identify us? Let's have a little interaction here just for a minute. Anybody have an idea of what would identify us? Our name? Our, Our manner of conversation? I'm a southerner and... You know, things like that. What else? Social security number distinguishes us, most definitely. Speech, yes, those things. However, nothing will identify us more accurately than our family identity. Now, there are thousands of Abshires in this country. However, I am not identified with everyone whose last name is Abshire. I am identified with one very specific Abshire family. Now tonight, some of you are not a member of my family, my, of my temporal family. But it would be possible tonight for you to become a member of my temporal family. You could become a member of my temporal family either by birth, which you cannot do, I don't think my mother's ready to have any more children, or by adoption, right? You could be adopted into my family. Now, let's take for just a moment and consider our spiritual identification. Now, this is one of the changes that is accomplished by God alone, not by our cooperation or effort. You see, when we talk about your physical birth, you were not born... Because you wanted to be born. You didn't just, in oblivion somewhere, say, Hey, I think I'm going to be born. You didn't do that. You were not born by your own will. You were born by the will and actions of your parents. You had absolutely nothing to do with it. You didn't get to choose your parents. You didn't get to decide what day you were born. You had nothing to do with any of that. You didn't, you, you, it was totally out of your control. And the same is true tonight concerning our spiritual 
identity. We were not born because we wanted to be born. We were not saved because we wanted to be saved. We were saved because God desired to save us. We were born again by the will of God, not by the will of man, not by the will of the flesh. So tonight, our spiritual identity, if we are born again, our spiritual identity is with the Lord. So we now must consider under our identity the old and the new. Well, what is the old? Well, first of all, our identity in the old, under the old man, the old was children of disobedience. In Colossians chapter 3, we read, Mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. You and I were born into the family of man. Our birth can be traced all the way back to Adam. There is and has been no child born outside of the family of man with the exception of Jesus Christ. This then seals our physical birth. We are born into the family of man and are thereby born a child of disobedience. Regardless of how much I may not want this to be true, so it is. I am born a child of man. I am one of the children of disobedience. And this is a very serious problem for me, just as it is for you. For in John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Being born a child of man is what we call the first birth. No man can enter into heaven that has only been born once. This is the old that Paul spoke of in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Upon salvation, old things are passed away. The old birth and its identity are done away with. And they're replaced by, secondly tonight, the new, which is a child of God. In Romans chapter 8, we read from verse 15 through 17, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we be also glorified together. Oh yes, under the old identity, we were children of disobedience, and we lived our life as children of disobedience, with no regard for God, no regard for the Word of God. But once we are saved, the old is done away, and we are now under the new. We are children of God. Nicodemus, a, a Jewish scholar and teacher, asked Jesus a very direct question. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb 
and be born? In other words, Nicodemus said, how can we be born a second time? We cannot go back in time and be born again. How would you like to go home to Mama tonight and say, Mama, I have a problem. In order to get to heaven, I have to be born twice. Can we go to the hospital and can I be born again? Your mama would say, son or daughter, you are nuts. And that's basic. Nicodemus was confused. He said, Lord, I don't understand this. Born again? How can I be born again? Well, of course, we understand that this new birth is a spiritual birth. It's the quickening by the Holy Spirit. It is taking the dead man and making him alive unto salvation. The new birth spoken of by Jesus is natural birth, as we understand. In John chapter 1, verse 11 through 13, we read, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So this new identity, this new birth, is not by blood or by human genealogy. It is not by the will of the flesh, or in other words, human works. It is not by the will, freely expressed will, of man. It is by the sovereign and divine will and action of Almighty God. It is by election in grace. Now, I realize that in America today, that's not a good word. But in Berean, praise the Lord, the truth is preached, and that's what we are. We are the elect according to the grace and will of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read from verses 3 through 6, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, According, look at these next word, as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. This new identity that you and I have today is the work of God Himself. It is by His divine and predestined will that you and I tonight are saved. It is without any consideration of any merit or value or worth in us. Romans 7.18 tells us, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So, if Scripture is true, and it is, there never has been nor ever will be anything good in me that could or would cause God 
to choose me unto salvation. It is simply by His sovereign choice, apart from anything in me. And tonight, as you sit in these pews, if you are saved, you have a new identity. No longer are you a child of disobedience. You are a child of God. And this new identity is the work of God our Father. But not only is there, do we have a new identity, but secondly tonight, I'd like to look at our propensities. Our propensities. Now, the definition of propensity is a natural inclination or disposition to behave in a certain way. Man differs from animals in many ways, but one of the most distinct is man's ability to control his behaviors. Animals behave in very predictable ways. We call these reflexive behaviors. These are animal instincts. Now, an animal may be taught to react to a certain trigger word or action. However, these are simply memorized responses, simply rote responses. Perhaps if you've gone to Marine World or Sea World, you'll see the, you'll see the trainers stand there and they'll do all kinds of things and blow whistles and the whales and the dolphins will perform for you. But does that imply that these animals have mental intellect? No, they're simply... They're simply reacting to certain, to certain triggers. With man, this is not so, although I've known some men that just react just like wild beasts. I don't know, but with man, this is not so. For man has the ability to learn and make intellectual decisions. Again, I've known many that cannot, but that's besides the point. Yet the natural man has certain propensities which he cannot overcome. I read these scriptures this morning. I'll read them again tonight. In Romans chapter 7, Paul writes, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. So let's take a look for a moment at these propensities and how they have changed. First tonight, let's consider the old The old propensity, or the old nature of man, was to walk in sin. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, we read, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Our old man walked in sin, not because he necessarily wanted to, but because he could not help it. It was his nature. It was his natural inclination. My son, my daughter and son-in-law have a, have a cute little dog. Her name is Belle. Cute little miniature dachshund. And Belle is so sweet. But Belle's a dog. If I take my nice T-bone steak and I put it on a plate and set it on the floor, Belle is going to eat my steak. Now, she's going to do that. Why? Because she's a dog, and that's what a dog does. Belle is not going to run up to that steak and stop and say, Oh, wait a minute. 
this is not my steak. I, I can't touch this steak. This belongs to someone else. So I will go sit over here and wait for my dry dog food. Belle won't do that. Belle's going to eat that steak. And she's going to eat that steak because that's what a dog does. A dog does what a dog does. It is the propensity, his nature, to do so. If an unsaved man lies on his tax forms to the IRS, this does not surprise me. Why? Because that's what natural men do. Natural men sin. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, Paul lists the works of the natural man. He says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The old nature abides in these things because that is the nature of the old man. And man cannot change his nature. No more than an elephant can change himself into a mouse. Oh, man may be able to curve his behaviors for a short period of time, but sooner or later, man will be what he is. And this old nature cannot exist in the presence of the Lord. It must be done away with. It must be changed. This, too, is an old thing that has passed away. And now we look to the propensity that we have been given, to the new, which is to walk in righteousness. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read from verses 6 through 9, Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Now it is very important for you to remember that you have only been given the propensity the nature or the inclination to walk in righteousness. In other words, tonight, you need to understand the Holy Spirit has not eradicated the old nature. He has not eradicated the old man, the old desires, the old habits. They are still with you tonight. But He has given you a new propensity. He has given you a new nature. He's not completely removed the old He's simply given you the new. See, far too many Christians cannot understand why they still have the same old desires, the same old temptations that they had before they were saved. After all, now that we are children of God, shouldn't we be above those things? But let me make it very clear to you tonight. You've been given the ability to overcome the world, the sin, and the devil... But the allurements of these things have not been removed from your daily life. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27, Paul writes, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. 
Paul realized that he needed to keep a watchful eye on the old nature. He realized that at any moment, the old man could creep up and take away his testimony. And this is the plight of so many Christians today. They wrongly think that they are invulnerable to the old man. But remember the admonition of Paul given in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 when he states, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. You see, we have been given the propensity to walk in righteousness. However, we had better be watchful for the old nature. God has given us His Holy Spirit, which will help us to overcome temptation, which will help us to overcome sin. But we must not forget the old nature. We must remember to keep it under subjection. And this can only be done by faith. For in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 we read, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And this is only possible, by the way, because of God the Father. 1 John 4, 4 tells us, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What's new? Well, our identity is new. Our propensity is new. And then thirdly tonight, what's new? Our responsibilities have become new. In Romans 6, verse 16, we read, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. Now, we have already covered some of the principles uh, involved in this, so I'm not going to belabor those points. But let me share just a few last thoughts with you tonight. First, let us consider the old responsibility that we had, and that was to satisfy the flesh. In Ephesians 2, 3, we read, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. In his natural state, a man has one main purpose, and that is to satisfy his desires. And this is seen in our world today in a self-centered, self-gratifying society. It is seen in the millions and millions of aborted babies each year. You know, I believe in a woman's right to choice. I believe a woman had a right to choose not to fornicate. Amen? That's what I believe. I believe an unmarried woman has a choice not to sin against a holy, righteous God. But if she does, then she doesn't have a right to murder a child. See, 
that satisfies the old flesh. I, I want to have my passion, but I don't want to have any, I don't want to have to pay the price. I want to do what I want to do, and then if I get caught with my hands in the cookie jar, I don't want to have to pay a price for it. We see this in our nation. It's seen in the growing debt of our nation, the irresponsible spending of our political leaders. It's seen in the... In, 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 what in the world? Let me ask you a question. What in the world is going to happen to our grandchildren? Do you know that today, in our, in, in our country today, we pay about 33 to 35% taxes, the average American? Our grandchildren, God help them, are going to pay 50 or 60% taxes to try to support this, this, this irresponsible government. But, you know, we got to satisfy the flesh. Uh, we want it, let's go get it, no matter how much debt we have to run up to, to, to obtain it. And this has permeated our homes. Americans are so deep in debt, credit card debt at that. But, you see, that's the old nature. Satisfy the flesh. Well, Grandpa had a ranch, and I want one too. Yeah, but Grandpa worked his whole life to get it. You want it by the time you're 22. So you'll, you'll, you'll borrow yourself to the hilt to have what you think you need to have. See, that's the old nature of man. The old, the old nature is just satisfy the flesh. But this never leads us to harmony, peace, or joy. Far too many are caught tonight in a vain attempt to satisfy the insatiable lusts of the flesh. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, we read, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not. Because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Boy, I, love, I like the way. And by the way, John's talking to Christians here. All right? He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world... Is the enemy of God. How many of you want to be listed among the enemies of God tonight? I know I don't. Yet we embrace the world. We embrace the world and its philosophies. We've made our allegiances and our alliances with the world. Some of God's children have, have, have indebted themselves to this world to the point where they have to work so many hours they can't even attend church. We, we, we have to satisfy this insatiable lust of our flesh. In 1 John chapter 2, John tells us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. The lust of the flesh, that's everything you want to do. The lust of the eyes, that's, that's everything you want to have. The pride of life, that's everything you want to be. 
These are the desires of the old nature, the flesh, and the old tendency is to satisfy these desires. It is these that enslave us and drive out, drive us out of God's presence. In Matthew chapter 7, we read, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And the old responsibility was to satisfy the flesh. But what about the new? Now that we're children of God, what is our new responsibility? Well, our new responsibility is to serve the Lord. No longer do we seek to satisfy the flesh, but now we seek to serve the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24, Samuel writes, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things He hath done for you. Well, that's a mouthful. Just stop to think about what God has done for you today. I preached about this this morning. Think about all the blessings Americans have. All the things we just take for granted that most people around this world will never, ever have the opportunity to have. And when we consider all the great things that God has done for us, we must serve Him with our lives. It is our responsibility as God's children to live our lives in service to Him. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul writes, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Walking worthy of God. What a trite idea in today's society. America has reared a generation of young people who think they are entitled to everything they want. They do not know the principle of hard work. They do not understand the concept of loyalty. But we as God's children, we as Christians, are to remember that we belong to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verses 19 and 20, Paul writes, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are the Lord's. And it is God's will that we give our life a sacrifice, a living sacrifice unto Him. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In this way only can you and I, as God's children, have real fulfillment in life. Can I tell you tonight, the most miserable person on earth is the Christian out of God's will? I can promise you there is, there is no more miserable man. You see, the world is not as miserable as him because they, they have no responsibility to God. But the, the, the Christian, the saved man who's trying to live in the world is the most miserable person alive because he'll never find joy 
He'll never have peace. He'll never be fulfilled. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19, Paul writes, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And Paul understood and realized that his life was to be the medium by which Christ could be seen of others and could, and could work in this life and in this world. You and I today, we are simply tools, but we must be tools in the Master's hand. My father, my father is a master builder, a master craftsman. My daddy could take a tree and turn it into the most beautiful piece of furniture you ever saw. And he, my father in his lifetime has built some incredible things. But you know, no one ever went to my dad and pushed him out the way and said, where's your hammer? I want to see your hammer. I want, I want, to, I want to congratulate your hammer on this beautiful, beautiful job. No one ever did that. No one ever went to my father's chisel and said, oh, what a great job you did. Because you see, a hammer... In the wrong hand is a tool of destruction, not a tool of construction. A chisel in the wrong hand can produce a major injury rather than a beautiful work of art. Now listen, you and I, we're nothing special. Don't, don't, don't listen to these TV guys who say, you're important to God. Because can I tell you, we're not. We're not. We, we like to think we are. As, as human beings, we like to think that we're the greatest thing going and God is just sitting in heaven and he's just, he's just waiting to serve us hand and foot. But can I tell you tonight, that's reversed. Okay, we're nothing. We're sinners saved by the grace of a sovereign God. We don't deserve anything we get. We're just tools in the Master's hands. And we are to serve God. The Lord. That's, that's the new. My responsibility tonight is to serve God with my life. And that's your responsibility. But this cannot be done in the power of the flesh. It can only be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this power is not available to the natural man. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul tells us, Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And it is our responsibility as children of God to live our life in service to God and in fulfillment of His will for us. What's new? What's new tonight? Well, for, for the believer, we have a new identity. No longer are we children of disobedience. We are now children of God. What's new? Well, to the believer tonight, we have a new propensity. No longer 
do we walk in the old sinful nature. Now we walk in righteousness. What's new? Well, for the believer, we have a new responsibility. No longer do we live to satisfy the flesh. Now we live to serve the Lord. There is so much more that can and and should be said about all of this. But let us go forth tonight and let us strive to live the new life given to us and to live that life to God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we do indeed praise your holy name. And Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us and, and, and that you will do through us. We thank you, Lord, for the new life we have in Christ. And tonight we just touched on just a few of the things that are new. But I pray you'd help us to see these things and to, to walk in that new nature, to, to live that new purpose, that new responsibility. I ask you, bless tonight that you would use this time to glorify yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and just sing.